0: Welcome back to the Dig City Podcast. I'm Corey Palm with Head Coach Dave Shondell. Uh Coach, a lot to talk about this week. Uh, not the least of which is is a great result Sunday uh, against Penn State. I wanna I wanna dissuade you of of some notion that you and your team might have. You guys are allowed to play matches that don't go five sets. Yeah. Uh, in uh, on Beelan Court, uh, we've had a lot of those this this year, and including including that match with the Nittany Lions. What did you like about the resolve your team showed Sunday? Well, it's just kind of the same thing we've seen throughout the entire season. You know, we haven't
1: won every match we've played, but we've competed really hard in just about every one, except maybe a couple. Um, But I, you know, Penn State is just such a traditional powerhouse. And if you don't have tough kids that believe in themselves, just playing against a team like a Penn State or a Nebraska or whoever it might be, uh, you know, can make it difficult to believe that they can win. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had gone to Wisconsin earlier in the week and played what I think is the best team in the country, uh, certainly the most physically gifted team in the land. And they beat us pretty soundly, even though we did win a set from them and, and did some good things during the course of that night. but. You, you, know, you come back, and now you get ready for Penn State, who's coming in angry because mm-hmm. they just lost a five-setter to the number-one-ranked team in the country, 15-13 in the fifth. And you just don't know which way that's going to go. But fortunately for us, we came out and were really sharp early, served the ball tough, blocked some balls. You know the, 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 the game plan that was established was effective, and, and the, the athletes followed it to a tee. But then you get that five-minute break after you're up two games to zero, And they come out, uh, Penn State comes out and plays at a much higher level the rest of the night. Merzik was really, really hard to stop. Their middles got a lot better during that that particular stretch. They've got a a right-side player, uh, Weatherington, that had just been inserted back in the lineup uh, the match before, Mm -hmm. and uh, she was a, a handful. So they got really, really good. You know, we were getting hammered in that fourth set, but we made a run late, and I think just from my experience of, of watching matches like that, the fact that we got some momentum, we started to do some things and, and, and get going in the right direction late in the fourth, that led, I thought, to us getting off to a good start in the fifth. And you know, Raven Colvin really came out like a house on fire in the fifth set and, and set the tone, and I, I thought that was a big difference maker for us as well.
0: Totally agree. So often you see, like you said, when, when you're the team that wins the fourth set, uh so many, so many times you end up carrying that momentum in to, to take the fifth. Uh, if you get off to a hot start, to, to be able to make that late run certainly made a difference. And then, you know, you guys run out to a 4-2, uh, then a 5-3, then a 6-3 lead in set number five. Short-lived, and then it was 6-7. <laughs> it was 6-7. But you get up three, yeah. and you make the other team fight and claw and scratch to just get back to even. And, and, and then, you know, you get a side out and you're right back. Yeah, and what, what a lot of people
1: don't totally understand about our sport if they haven't been involved in it for a long time and, and look at it is matchups mm-hmm. in volleyball are going to dictate the ebbs and the flows of a game. And so, you know, you can start rotation one when your setter is right back, rotation two when your setter is middle back, three, four, five, six, as they rotate around, and you're allowed to start in any, any rotation you want to. Mm-hmm. You spend a lot of time guessing on where your opponent might start. Uh, One of the things that we are different this year, and we talked a little bit about this in another show, I believe, is that in years past, we got locked into starting in in a particular rotation because maybe we had a, a smaller setter that we didn't want to have in the front row too early for a blocking liability, or you had an unbelievable offensive player that you wanted to start left front because we needed them to, to get some kills for us early yeah. or whatever but this year we have a lot more flexibility um, number one our setter is as good of a blocker as our right side player is so yes. it, it doesn't that doesn't impact things and we have uh, you know two really outstanding outside hitters so that helps both of our middles are hitting at a pretty good pace so we have we can spin the dial anytime we want to it's just do you know what your opponent's going to be? But somehow, as the matches went back and forth, and they did rotate their dial, we did We stayed with pretty much mm-hmm. within one spot uh, as the match went on. Um, but they did make some adjustments. But we did get preferred matchups at times during the match, and um, I felt like the fact that Raven came out and got some things done uh, early. Um, and then we blocked some balls, and, and, and just it was, it was just a really, really good fifth set for our team to, to beat Penn State, who's just a, a really, really good team.
0: They are. And one thing we saw when, when you guys beat them out in, in Pennsylvania was uh, your service Eve was top notch. Mm-hmm. That, that match, they, they come in averaging three plus aces. Yeah, per match, you they per had set. per set. Yeah. they had zero that day. Yeah, uh, they had seven aces on Sunday. They, they, they served of... more
1: effectively uh, in this particular match. Of course, it was a five setter. It was, true. and um, and some of the you know one or two of those might have been in the in the fifth set. I can't remember, but um, it's just there's. You, you just have a little bit of a mental letdown now and then when you're back there passing, when you get into a long, drawn-out, emotional match with, with everything is on the line. And and that's when most of our passing miscues appeared was just from, you know, just kind of letting down just a little bit. Mm-hmm. One time, um, I think it was Chloe, you know, she went out. She's a pass in the left front area, and she bails out too early. Mm-hmm. And, and the ball served right where she was at. Uh, she just didn't expect the ball to come in her direction based on the – the angle of approach that the server had, but anyway, um, no, I, you know I say they did outpass us in that match, but they they also out serve us. so mm-hmm. they're serving tougher balls than what we are. Our serving is getting better, you know. That's been a point of contention for us. Yep. We're working really hard at it, and I, and, I, and I love the way that our players are focused on that every night in practice. They get it. They understand. When I finally showed them the numbers that this is why we're having a hard time defending people because we're not serving the ball tough enough. They're laying the ball on top of the setter's head all the time and the numbers indicate that's what's going on at a higher rate than any other team in the Big Ten. And then they grasp that concept and they say, okay, well, if I'm gonna be one of the six or eight people that might serve during the course of a match, I better get busy. I better find some ways to make things more difficult. And so, even with Chloe Shacoin, who everybody loves her, her top spin jump floater, they love to watch her jump and, and, and attack that ball. But it, unless you're putting that ball near 50 miles an hour, okay, you're not getting enough pace on it. Right. And as the season goes on, for whatever reason, sometimes you go in and out of how aggressively you're attacking your serve. And she has a great float serve, jump float serve, which she got did get a big ace in the she fifth did. set yeah. with, with that particular serve. So yep. I, I just, and I also noticed on the on the uh, analytics sheet that Penn State is the best team in our league passing a top spin serve. There's a, there's okay. a stat out that, there that shows that. that.
0: Drills down that deep, that's And wild. so
1: um, because of a lot of different things, I felt like, okay, uh, we wanna go at certain people. You don't have as much control with your top spin as you do with a jump floater let's go with that and that ended up being a pretty good decision that we made
0: and her approach is like a layman's perspective here i'm i'm a fan i'm an observer uh, her approach doesn't change a lot between the jump floater and and her topspin no not not a lot not it, a lot it, it's it's maybe it's enough for players to recognize late the mecha- the
1: mechanics the mechanics of it uh, about halfway through the approach okay. you should be able to tell if she's going to topspin it uh, but once we once we flipped to the float, we stayed right with it. Yeah. And uh, but again, you put it on the right person, the right way. And when we were when we were serving those players, it's okay if they know they're getting the ball. Yeah. You know, sometimes you want that passer to know I'm serving you. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes it can get into
0: in people's head. We've and we've seen that uh, over the years. We've seen that really mess with some people yeah. with mentally. Um, Chloe twenty-seven kills on the day. Eva twenty-four. Your team set a rally scoring record with sixty-nine kills on the day, and that's uh, that surpasses the record, did not know that the record that you set earlier this season at Ohio State. Uh, again, five setter, but but just to be able to terminate that many balls to, to control, I think it was a four setter. Is it a four it setter? Might have been a record for a four setter. That could be.
1: Okay. Um, let me just say this about um, Chloe Shakoin and Eva Hudson. Um, they're, they're just tremendous competitors and, and f- phenomenal volleyball players, especially for their age right now. I mean, we're asking them to be every bit of what any other team in the country would want their left side hitters to be. And they're, they're reaching our expectations. I mean, they are mm-hmm. maximizing everything that they have right now. And it's just – I mean, that's why our fans love those two players. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just – they can't get enough of either one of them. And uh, But what I mentioned, I think, in the press conference is, and they know this, but the, one of the reasons they're so successful is they're on the same team with each other. And because of the, the system that we've designed offensively, they're in the game all the time. Mm-hmm. And it, once, once those blockers decide they're going to try to leak out and take away Eva Hudson left front, then we can set either the middle – the right side, but we also have a back row attacker in either Eva or in this case it would be Chloe. Same thing if Chloe's banging balls in the front row, Eva's coming out of the back row. And our hitting percentage is hitting out of the back row. Those two players are hitting a higher percentage out of the back row than they are in the front row. Okay, that's odd. That's that unusual. It's, it's pretty strange. But, but it's, it's a good thing. It stands to reason. It's a good thing. They're that,
0: dealing with different defense there.
1: And, yeah, they're, they're getting one blocker or mm-hmm. a split block, whatever it might be, when they come out of the back row. It's not like they're looking at four big hands yeah. uh, in, in your face. But um, they're they're very fortunate that they have each other on that floor mm-hmm. together and a lot of other good teammates as well because our middles are – you have to contend with our middles. We, as you're mm-hmm. going to probably talk about Lourdes yeah. Myers who had a – Just had an unbelievable uh, offensive night, and she is the queen of the overpass, as we know. Anytime that there's a ball dug or passed over the net, I've never had a player that handles them with such – calm and effectiveness as what Lourdes does. For her to
0: have uh, such quick reflexes, such great athleticism along with her, her length, it's almost unfair. Uh, we'll take it because she's ours. But uh, <laughs> well, I can,
1: I can remember the, the one year that she was out with, uh, had some surgery on, on a leg and all we could do for about the next year was put her on a box and have a manager or an assistant coach or myself put balls, just toss balls mm-hmm. up into the, the window of uh, striking area and you just hear that sound all over the gym because she has one of the best arm swings, certainly of any middle that we've ever had, yeah. but really of any any attacker. period. She just explodes on the ball and gets on it so fast and a lot of times the block middle blockers right now, they're not even have their hands above the net by the time she gets on the ball. Mm-hmm. so. She has some special skills. There's
0: no doubt about it. Uh, one last thing. Alluding to Lourdes, nine kills on 11 swings. That is, a, that is an eight eighteen attack percentage. When you know you're a middle in this offense and Eva's going to get 60 attacks and Chloe's going to get 60 attacks in a five-set match, and you're going to get limited opportunities, it's so important to be efficient. And, mm-hmm. and Lourdes was. We've seen Raven a little bit less efficient on the attack, but like you said, in moments, she was the best player on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen matches this year where those two have flipped, where Lourdes is maybe not getting as many kills, but Raven yeah. 8 for 12.
1: Yeah, well, again, yeah, they have to take advantage of their opportunities. And I remember the match before we played, um, Lourdes didn't get many balls. Yeah. And, you know, like most players... Wasn't thrilled about it because she, she believes that she can put balls away. And then she came out the next practice and was just pummeling balls. She didn't pout about it. Yep. Okay. She came out the next practice and she made everybody know, this is what happens when you set me the ball. And so that's how you get more sets. And one thing we, we need to do is give the middles and the, and the right side player, the ball more. Because mm-hmm. we have good players, we have good offensive people in those positions. That's, that's not an issue. right um, Now, the other thing is you have very, very reliable outside hitters that no matter how many blockers are up, they seem to find a way to score points. I mean, Eva can go high over the top, up, use the periphery of the, of the block very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, in that particular match at Penn State, uh, Chloe was just magical. It didn't matter what she did. She found a way to get the, the ball to the ground and, and score points. But, again, it's, it's just a good situation that we have, and we're going to have it for a couple more years to have just a lot of good offensive players that feed off of each other and are, are benefit because
0: they have those teammates on the floor with them. One of those players that you've talked a lot about but we haven't gotten a chance to see a lot in, in the last couple of years is Emily Rostovsky, mm-hmm. uh, great Job, a great performance by her when she finally got her opportunity Sunday.
1: Yeah, she's really in the last maybe three matches, we've called on her without hesitation. Um, Against um, Penn State, we had uh, Grace Heaney went down with a little bit of an ankle turn. And uh, because Emily had played well when she was called upon before, we went quick with her, and she responded both with offensive Opportunities she scored on and blocking and mm-hmm. made it made a really nice defensive play in that fifth set where she had to come over from the right side on the ball set to their right side player and they tipped it. She was right there where she's supposed to be it up. to make the play. So we have really good depth mm-hmm. in the right side position. You have Heaney who's been starting a lot, you have Rastovsky, you have Woolard, and you can also play Lizzie Carr out there, you could play Burrell Warren there. Um, but you know, it just depends on what you need. And it, to me, it's a lot of who's, who's doing what in practice. Like, I've, the last two practices, there have been a couple players that have jumped out at me, okay? And, and because of that, they, they deserve opportunities as well. So, uh, you know, we'll see how, how quickly Grace comes along and uh, we'll roll the dice like we always do and, and try to put the person out there we think that matches up best against the opposition.
0: And in this case, it's the uh, Golden Gophers of Minnesota. That is uh, that is next on the Dock. The Gophers uh, will host the Boilermakers here in a couple days. We'll talk about that matchup uh, after the break. Dig City Podcast is presented by Franciscan Health Sports Medicine. Inspiring health. Franciscan is the official medical services provider of Purdue Athletics. Now back to the show. Okay, Coach, uh, you guys are headed up to the Great White North this weekend to take on the Golden Gophers. Uh, I know they've been a little bit up and down this season after a really tough start. Um, you saw them a couple of weeks ago. Uh, how, how much do you anticipate things being different or similar to that matchup?
1: Well, I mean, we've watched their matches from the past weekend where they won two. They won at Ohio State and they won at home against uh, Northwestern and those are two teams that have competed really well against us. Obviously, we lost to Northwestern, and we, we won over at Ohio State, and we felt pretty good that we did. So those are two nice wins for them as they start to try to get prepared for postseason play. I think that they've got an excellent chance of getting a postseason play. RPI is about 32. Um, they have tremendous talent. As I mentioned, I picked them, I think, maybe second in the league to start the season, second or third for sure. They return, as everybody knows, uh, Taylor Lanfair, who's the Big Ten Player of the Year from last year. They've got another left side hitter who um, Wooker's her name, and she's a physical specimen. They've got the kid from Cal that was an all Pac-12 player on the right side who hurt us big in our match here. Uh, They've got a great setter um, out of uh, Newcastle, Melanie. Mm -hmm. Shaftmaster who's um, started ever since she walked on campus there. Good athletes in the middle. They've got uh, Murr from uh, Ohio State, who was a defensive player in the year. So you can understand why we would have voted them up. They, I think they were yeah. third in the, in the preseason poll, probably really close to second because of the talent that they've got. Um, Hugh McCutcheon, we've talked about this, uh, retired from coaching to take a job in their athletic, athletic department as a coach's mentor, which I think is a really neat um, scenario uh, to have somebody on your staff that when you have – as a coach uh, or assistant coach and you have something you want to hash out or something's not going right or what, you've got somebody that you can go to and, and say, what, you know, what do you think about this? And, and obviously he was a gold medal Olympic coach that's intelligent and um, even keel and, and so that's what his job is now. Now Keegan Cook is the head coach, he was at uh, Washington for a long time and had a couple of trips to the Final Four, did a great job there. But he comes into a new scenario of now figuring out how do I get to these different big Ten schools and what's that going to be like, mm-hmm. And uh, but we're going to play them at home. So he knows what it's like up there in the pavilion, as they call it,
0: uh, at Minnesota. Yeah, uh, great venue. If you've never had a chance to, to make it up there, I would highly recommend going up to, to catch a match up there. Like I said, uh, you, you guys played them a couple weeks ago. You. It was a three-set swing. Well, we
1: could have lost the first two right? as you were there, I think. Oh yeah. no, Maybe you weren't there for that one. Uh, I was on TV. I was, I was watching at home because yeah. I, I don't know anybody uh, who can get me tickets. We uh, The the first one was really close, back and forth, and we won that one. We should not have won the second one. We kind of came out of nowhere to yeah. win the second. And then we got uh, a little bit better matchup in the third set and uh, won that one, I think, uh Twenty-five. I mean, I got it right here somewhere. 25, sixteen. Sixteen. 16, Okay. So the first were two pointers. First two sets were two pointers, and then we won that one uh, uh, a little more easily. But I, I don't expect anything to be easy when we go up there on to play on Friday.
0: For sure. No. Uh, no concern about having focus issues with the team. The, no. This this team is not. Not going to happen. Okay.
1: That's not going to happen. Um, we, we know what we're getting into, and if you know what our, our track record is at Minnesota, you, you would know why we know it's going to be a challenge. It's, it's, I mean, Minnesota, there have been four tremendous programs in this league, okay? Mm-hmm. Obviously, Penn State has been the program in the last 20 years, followed closely by Nebraska, Wisconsin, and then in Minnesota has been that other team that's just been really, really hard to beat. Whether it was Mike Hebert coaching the team or Hugh McCutcheon, those guys were really, really um, great at what they what they do, and they had great talent and uh, they had it rolling. And um, and we we've been trying to, to knock into that that group. You know, we've been the next team um, consistently. Yep. And uh, now we feel like we've got the the personnel and uh, the mental toughness to, and the drive to. To get in there, and we have an opportunity down the stretch with these last six matches to to try to finish in that top four.
0: For sure, right now, currently uh, tied for third with Penn State, who you hold two head-to-head uh, wins over. So the third place belongs to the Boilermakers at the moment. But just like you say, Minnesota, Michigan State, and Illinois are all a game back. Uh, you play two of those three this weekend. Mm-hmm. This is a huge weekend when it comes to you know end of season standings places, and, and end of season, uh, you know, where you end up on Selection Sunday? They
1: all count. There's no doubt about it. And, um, you know, we did get our 15th win against uh, Penn State, which the worst-case scenario is, and you look at this sometimes from a fan or a coach's standpoint, 15 and 14. Yeah. Uh, but your RPI is going to be um, lofty enough that you're going to, to make the tournament. We talked earlier off the air that um, – Depending on who you listen to, uh, Purdue might be you know, a, a top 16 seed or they might be right on the outside of that top 16. But that's where we are right now, and we have work to do to assure ourselves that we can play at home in front of our fans, our block party, our great community, people from across the uh, four or five state area that like to come watch Purdue play and, and hopefully Purdue win.
0: Well, and this is uh, – we spent the month of September cussing whoever made up the schedule, but yeah. this is why you do it. Yep. Because uh, when it comes to end of season and RPI strength of schedule and, and what your opponents did and what your opponents opponents did, you look at the standings and the teams right around you are teams that you've played, teams that you've beaten, like Kansas, like uh, uh, Marquette, like uh, Houston was here. We didn't get a chance to play SMU, then. Central Florida is right there, Central Florida. Yep. Um, yeah. So this is this is why you do what you do in September. Uh, to make things uh, uh, well, to really matter in November.
1: Yeah, and I just wanted to. I, I think in non-conference, the the weakest team we played from a RPI standpoint would have would have been Loyola of Illinois, Chicago, mm-hmm. and their RPI is fifty. Yeah, that was the the weakest team we played. I mean, Duke was better than that. Uh, Duke is at. Uh, I think I can I can do this easier if I just hit my. I'm sorry for those people that are listening, and just be patient for a second here. But um, our out-of-conference, Creighton, number 12 RPI, Kentucky, 13, SMU, 19, Kansas, 21, Marquette, 25, USC, 33, Duke, 49, and Loyola is right at 50. Central Florida is down about 60, so I guess Central Florida was the... The weakest, but that was what our non-conference was, and then you get into conference play, which you can't control. Right. And obviously Iowa not doing great; they're down around 200. Um, but even Michigan, who's at 180, they beat Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, and Maryland last weekend, or the last three sets, three matches. So, and Illinois, Illinois is down about 80, and I, I've played them twice. One time they looked like an 80 RPI team. Mm-hmm. The last time we played them, they looked like a top 15 RPI team. So, um, But, it, again, it all goes back to how you scheduled and how you did against those teams yep. in non-conference and then a little bit as you get into conference play.
0: Is there anything else you Michigan want to Michigan
1: State about? on Sunday here. Um, the Spartans, um, Leah Johnson is in her second year, and I think she's done a, a fantastic job of – getting players to buy into what she is selling, which is what you have to do when you come in and start a, a new program. She has a really good staff yep. uh, as well, and she has um, a couple players that came with her from Illinois State, that's where she was before. We actually saw her here uh, in a, in an NCAA tournament the mm-hmm. year before she she left. They'd won the Missouri Valley, and then she took the job at Michigan State. A couple players went with her. Uh, she had a transfer that came in Um, a fifth-year kid. I'm trying to think where she was from, somewhere in the Carolinas, and she's a big middle. It's playing very, very well for them right now, about 6'4". She has two or three foreign players, international kids, two that are freshmen. One's from New Zealand uh, that is playing really, really well for them, uh, leading toward the top in in attempts and kills in our league. So she's she's hit, uh, if not a home run, certainly extra base hits. With some people that she has brought in, and again, they they believe in what they're doing, and they've won eight out of fourteen Big Ten matches. Um, I think that you know they've got a, a tough schedule down the stretch, but um, they they've got a shot to to finish in the in the top five or six of the Big Ten if, if things go their way down the stretch. So our fans need to understand that. Everybody that comes into our gym Mm -hmm. is good. Mm -hmm. And down the stretch, the three teams that we're going to see are going to be um, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Maryland. Those are the three home matches we have left in our gym. And then if we get the NCAA tournament here, first and second round, we'll get a chance to play a couple more, hopefully.
0: You talk about Leah Johnson. I remember that that postseason when Illinois State was here and being so impressed with her. Uh, It was right before she got the MSU job. It was no shock that she was joining the Big Ten. Uh, uh, So... It's good to see that paying off, and can't wait to see. Uh, can't wait to see that matchup on Sunday. Get out to Holloway if you can. If you can't, the match will be uh, one o'clock on Big Ten Plus.
1: Okay. Well, thanks, Corey. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate
0: you.